I always appreciate such a great setup to the scripture that we're going to hear. So we're continuing our sermon series this morning of the foundational or core stories of the Bible. And today we're going to talk about that time in Israel's history when David, whom we meet in this story as a young shepherd boy, is king. Now Israel's having a king at all was kind of a surprise development. Once the Israelites escaped slavery in Egypt and spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness and then finally settled in the promised land, it turns out their troubles aren't over just yet. Other people occupied the land, which meant that from time to time, the 12 tribes of Israel joined together to wage defensive wars. Each time a threat appeared, God would appoint an individual to lead the people, and these individuals were known as judges. Their stories are told in the book of Judges, which comes before the book of 1 Samuel. But at the beginning of 1 Samuel, a change is taking place. The people of God look around and see that the countries surrounding them are ruled by kings and not judges. And they start to think that would be a better way to go. So the elders of the tribes come to Samuel, a priest and a prophet, and demand that he find them a king. Samuel thinks this is a very bad idea because the only true king of Israel is the Lord. But the Lord tells Samuel, give the people what they want. And the first king God chooses is Saul who seems to be chosen primarily on the basis of height, since we are told several times that he stands head and shoulders above everyone else. Saul serves as king briefly, but when he disobeys a command, God rejects him, and Samuel sets out to find a new king. This is where we pick up our story today with a reading from 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 34, through chapter 16, verse 13. As we prepare To hear God's word read and proclaimed, let us pray. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul. Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death, but Samuel grieved over Saul. And the Lord was sorry that he had made Saul king over Israel. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and set out. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, For I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears of it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I'll show you what you shall do, and you shall anoint for me the one whom I name to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? He said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. 
When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. He said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse, then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. He sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. The Lord said, Rise and anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Samuel then set out and went to Ramah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A wise therapist once said, we get into relationships with the right person for all the wrong reasons. When we embark on a new relationship, whether it's with a friend, a roommate, spouse, or a business partner, We usually have ideas about why they are the right person for us. Usually this is something positive. They're funny or kind or smart or a person of faith or strong morals. But even though we think these are the reasons we are attracted to someone, it usually turns out these aren't the reasons this person is good for us. Because in almost every close relationship, something happens over time. We discover that this person who once could do no wrong has traits that really bother us. Maybe it's the way they chew their food, or that they're always interrupting us. Maybe it's the way they just can't take a joke, or that they can't ever be serious. Maybe it's how they refuse to set aside their cell phone, even during an important conversation. Whatever it is, in most relationships, we eventually discover there are things about the other person that just get under our skin. And we start to wonder if they're so right for us after all. We get into relationships with the right person for all the wrong reasons. The things that drive us crazy about the people we spend the most time with are the very things that can teach us a lot about ourselves if we're willing to learn. Now, this can be an extremely painful and unpleasant process, which is why so many marriages end in divorce, so many friends drift apart over time, and so many family members become estranged. Sometimes when we're confronted with the challenges of being in relationship, we have the capacity and courage to stay, and sometimes we have the capacity and courage to leave. Either way, 
Relationships serve as a crucible that reveals all sorts of things about ourselves we couldn't learn any other way. We get into relationships with the right person for the wrong reasons, but that doesn't stop God from using relationships to transform us. Through the 40 years of David's service to Israel as king and the nearly 70 years' worth of stories we have in the Bible about his life, we see this same dynamic play out between David and Israel and between David and God. This relationship begins with the story we heard today when God rejects Jesse's handsome, strapping sons one after another until Samuel begins to think he's come to the wrong town and the wrong family. But then Jesse sends for David, the youngest, a Hebrew word that means something like the runt of the litter. And right away, Samuel knows this is the one God has chosen against all odds and against all customs. At that time, the youngest son was basically a second-class citizen. But that doesn't stop God from choosing David ostensibly for the right reasons. He certainly looks the part of king, handsome, with beautiful eyes. But in fact, that's not what matters to God. What makes David the right choice for Israel is something the human eye can't see. God is looking at David's heart. Over the course of two books and dozens of stories, we start to see what God sees in David's heart. We see the courage it took for David as a boy to go up against the giant Goliath and successfully defeat him with only his slingshot and a stone. We see the cunning through which David ingratiates himself to King Saul. We see the compassion with which David uses his musical talents playing the harp to soothe Saul's anxious spirit. We see the caring and empathy that defines David's relationship to Saul's son, Jonathan. We see the skill and strength that makes David a great warrior and a great leader of the people. We even get to see the passion and hubris that leads David to take another man's wife and have that man killed on the battlefield, but then later accept responsibility for his actions and face the consequences. Regardless of what God saw on that first day, it becomes clear that what distinguishes David's heart is not that it is pure, but that it is deeply, wonderfully human. David is the only person the Bible describes as a man after God's own heart, and we witness what this means when David, in times of triumph and despair, returns to God and acknowledges God's power and authority over his life. As David and Israel grow and mature together, they learn hard truths about each other, but most importantly, they discover and affirm and rediscover and reaffirm a foundational truth that humanity's one true king, the king who is pure in heart, committed to justice, and defined by love and compassion, is God. Years ago, I helped lead a children's vacation Bible school for a week, 
every day that week there was a phrase of the day, and every time the kids heard that phrase, they were supposed to enthusiastically respond, fear not. The first day the phrase was, God is with us. So anytime someone said those words, the kids would shout, fear not. Now, I love the fact that God is with us was the underlying theme of that day, and I pray that if the kids learned nothing else that week of Vacation Bible School, they learned that. But after hearing God is with us, fear not, about a hundred times in one day, I started to think maybe we were oversimplifying things. After all, we hear these words, fear not or do not be afraid, so many times in the Bible precisely because when people come face to face with God or a messenger of God, their first response is fear. As our associate pastor Josh pointed out when I told him this story, what we probably should have had those kids say in response to God is with you wasn't fear not, but rather Be brave, since bravery involves moving forward even in the face of fear. Well, throughout his life, David exhibits remarkable bravery, which seems to come from this unshakable confidence that God is with him. This is the through line in the many Psalms David is believed to have written. But knowing that God is with him doesn't mean David never makes mistakes. In fact, he has some spectacular lapses in judgment. It also doesn't mean that David never suffers. He experiences terrible personal and political losses. But whether David succeeds or fails, rejoices or suffers, has confidence or struggles from anxiety, he knows God is with him. And this knowledge can be traced back to today's story. David knows he is loved and claimed by God because he was anointed. In front of all of his older brothers, God chose David. This experience is the anchor of David's whole life. No matter what happens, he knows God chose him. What would it look like for that truth to be the anchor of our lives? In the face of all our frustrations and fears and the events in our lives we would never have chosen for ourselves, what would it look like to live from the confidence that we serve a God who chooses us and loves us unconditionally? We know God has chosen us because God came to us as a descendant of David, a man named Jesus, Through the events of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we get to see the breadth and depth of God's love for humanity. And just like every relationship, there's nothing simple about it because it requires us to face some hard truths about God and about ourselves. Yes, David was chosen by God in a particular kind of way, but in his lifelong relationship with God, David offers us an example of how to be self-reflective, honest, humble, and vulnerable. David shows us that true strength and courage leads to growth and change, to true transformation. 
One of the common reactions to Jesus' teaching and healing that we see throughout the New Testament is that people get upset and even angry when Jesus suggests that God's presence and promise is for all people. People get offended when Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners, when he heals non-Jews, and when he suggests that God's laws are sometimes meant to be broken. This was offensive then, and if we're honest, it still offends us now. Like David, we want to see ourselves as uniquely special, as uniquely chosen, in contrast with those who may have lost their way. But if God, through Jesus, has chosen all of us and not just some of us, things are not as simple as they appear. We get into relationships with the right person for all the wrong reasons. And that's true of our relationship with God. We did not get into a relationship with God to be drawn away from those with whom we struggle or disagree. God does not choose us in order to protect us from hardship or challenges or difficult relationships. Just as David was not anointed for his own sake, but for the sake of God's people. Just like David, we are chosen by God for a purpose, so that we can love and serve one another. Fortunately, every time David faces unpleasant truths about himself, he also rediscovers a wondrous truth about God, that God's promise to be with him was true at David's best and at his worst. This is true for us, too. When we're willing to look within ourselves, to be brave enough to develop our greatest gifts and be honest about our worst faults, we not only deepen our relationship to others, we discover that it's our relationship with God that gives us the courage and capacity to change and grow, to be transformed. Yes, we get into relationships with the right people for all the wrong reasons. We get into relationship with the right God sometimes for the wrong reasons. But by God's grace, following the example of David, all these relationships can be the beginning of something truly transformative, not just for us, but for the world God loves and calls us to serve. Amen.